The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hey everybody, it is Sixers playoff time. Thank you for listening to Take Off with John Clark. And we have a very special guest. I always love talking to Tim Legler when we get ready for the playoffs. Tim Legler from ESPN. We love your work. We always watch you. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. It is always my pleasure to come on. I love this time of year, obviously. You know, and especially now because the regular season has been diminished, I think, in the NBA because there are so many guys that rest and load management and all the injuries. Now you have the best players in the world playing their hardest. So this is my time of year, man. I cannot wait for the NBA playoffs. I'm excited. Yeah, and you're going to be really, really busy. So we do appreciate this time. And I know you always talk to your buddies in the Delaware Valley. How are they feeling about the Sixers going into this Raptors series? It's a mixed bag, John. It's a mixed bag. I got I got my lifers that are um, eternally optimistic, that feel pretty good about everything. Um, and then I think you got the guys for me that are a little bit more realistic because I just don't think you can be, you know, singing a happy tune right now, thinking that this is going to go super smoothly. I don't think you have enough evidence for that. And then you got other guys that they kind of hover around the Ben Franklin bridge on a daily basis, thinking about it, look <laughs> down. Okay. So, so there's a group, there's a different group. And I'm curious because I'm traveling so much now I'm outside the area. So I'll ask you, what is the, pulse do you feel like what what are people feeling in the city about this team i gotta be honest with you i'm feeling more juice for the phillies right now when they started their season than the sixers and i, and I gotta tell you because i was i was laying in bed one night and i'm thinking the sixers were tied for the second best record in the east 51 wins again now of course the seating they get down to four but james harden I look at his statistics, I'm like, they're really good statistics. But then when I've watched the games lately, I don't see it that way. Do you see it that way as well with James Harden? 100%. Um, I, I, what's concerning me most about James Harden, um, and, and look, when this whole thing went down, I, I, I was honest about what I saw out of James Harden at some critical moments in Houston in playoff series. He has some things that were there that were head-scratching. As good as he was, as dom not good, as great, as dominant as he was. And we've never seen a player used that way as a point guard, an offense that ran that way, a guy putting up that kind, those kind of numbers. He had moments. It wasn't every year. It wasn't every night in the playoffs. But he had moments when his team had to have him, and he didn't show up. And it, and it wasn't just like, oh, off-shooting night. I'm talking about where he played differently. He was less aggressive, clearly to me, affected by pressure. So I was worried when the trade went down. Like, what are we going to get? Now, he wanted out of Brooklyn. He got a lease on life. He's playing with an incredible player. And he seemed excited to be there. And early on, it was good. But they weren't playing any really good teams. They weren't playing good defenses. And the more I've watched him, what I'm concerned about is he looks like he's not quite the same physically in terms of putting whatever's in front of me in the rearview mirror. Whatever matchup I get, whether it's the initial defender or I get a switch on a big, he was he'd go back and forth six, seven times, right? That's his thing. He gets you dancing, and then he picks a direction, and he goes. And that guy is gone. 
And now he takes on the next defender. He takes on the back line. And then it's either floater, rim, or a pocket pass or a kickout. Now I'm seeing that first defender staying with him. They're riding his hip. And so now everything in the lane has become harder for him. And I think if you ask me why that is, guards, you start to age, man, and you show it at a different time. And a guy that was used to that extent in Houston, no one's ever had that kind of usage rate in the history of the NBA. He did it year after year. You're, you're going to see some slowdown. And a guy like that, you slow down by 10%. You just allowed another 25 different guys in the league to guard you. And I, that's what I'm seeing. He's just not as explosive. He doesn't have the acceleration. He doesn't have the lift. Um, his three-point shots are, are not – he's not feeling that in his legs combined with whatever external pressure he probably feels from this situation. So the combination of the two, there's something off. And like you said, John, it's not like the numbers are horrific. The numbers are still pretty damn good for most point guards in this league. But we all know what we're looking at. There's something different about him. And it, I think that's where the lack of faith comes in that this team is going to make a deep run. Well, I hope if your buddies are listening to this, they're not on the Ben Franklin Bridge because <laughs> they might they might be jumping I know, off. Believe me. Well, they know enough by now. If they hear I'm coming on something with local media in Philly, they all pull over to the side of the road. Because <laughs> this could be, you know, and I'm, look, I, I want them to win. I genuinely do because, I, you know, look, I don't have a particular team I root for. I grew up a Celtics fan just because I like Larry Bird. You know, I was a Bullets fan as a kid. Ever since I became an adult, I, you know, I just played in the league and I covered the league. I don't really care. I root for style of play. There are certain teams I like to watch. And I want Philly to win because it's, I got, you know, I'm invested in the area and I, it, the, everybody's happier when they're good. But I've just got to be honest about what I'm seeing. And I'm, I'm very worried, not just about winning a championship. I'm worried about this round of getting past Toronto, who could not possibly be playing any better than they are. Yeah, so when you looked at the Eastern Conference and you say, okay, I think these teams can come out of the East and be in the NBA Finals, and you see who the Sixers could have matched up with, I'm looking at the Bulls, I'm like, I think that would have been the best matchup. Can you give me a couple that you thought would have been the good matchups for the Sixers, and where would you put the Raptors? Is this one of the worst matchups you think for them? Well, as it turns out, with the situation with Thibel, I mean, that's that's not a small thing. You are now going to have to go up and play them on the road without your best defender. And, and like in this series, you're talking about he'd get turns on Siakam, which he's a very tough matchup for the Sixers. He'd get turns on Van Vliet, who's a guy that can get going. And I mean, he gets cooking. He can get you 15, 16 points in a quarter. He'd get some turns on him. Um, Scotty Barnes, you know, a great rookie to have. So his versatility and the number of guys that he could go and just pester and drape on and try to make their nights miserable to not have them on the road games, it just I think it puts so much pressure on them at home to get those first two. You know, if they split or they lose the first game and now you've got the prospect of playing two out of the next three on the road without Thibel, I, I think they're in serious trouble if that happens. So – the Raptors, it fell in their lap. It's weird the way it worked out. The Sixers to fall from one to four and Toronto to come from like nine to five. That happened over like a two, three-week period. Nobody expected it to be Toronto-Philly in the first round. Otherwise, we would have been talking about this Thibel thing a lot more than we were. Kind of got sprung on everybody. Oh, here you go. Got the Sixers. Oh, by the way, we have a guy that's not vaccinated. Uh, hasn't been vaccinated twice. So 
that's definitely bad luck on the part of the Sixers to end up with this team. But, but I look at there's five teams I think capable of winning the East. I still include Philly in that, but I wouldn't put them at the top. I think Milwaukee's the best team in the East. I think Miami, Brooklyn, Boston, all of those teams are razor thin margin between between them. I think the Nets probably aren't as good as Miami and Boston because they just don't have the depth and they don't play any defense. Um, and Philly's right there, you know, in the mix. But it all comes down to I hate to say it, it all comes down to James Harden. Period. If he plays the way he's been playing for the last two weeks, they're going home this round. All right, so if, if you're Doc Rivers and you see that over the last three weeks or so, or even the last month, I mean, he's averaging 13 assists in, in April, uh, but you see, especially in the fourth quarter, his shot is not there, especially from three. So if you're Doc Rivers, do you solely try to get him to run the point and, and use his ability to pass the ball, or are you trying to do both and try to see if he can still beat a guy one-on-one -on -one and, and make his shots and take it to the basket? If I'm Doc Rivers, I've got to utilize James Harden the way he's been utilized throughout his career. Like, this is the way he plays. And, I, and if, if that's the case and he can't get it done, if you're Doc Rivers, you say, listen, this is the player you brought in. I'm coaching the player the way that he has played his entire career. And he just wasn't good enough. It's not on Doc Rivers at that point. Now, listen, there are some things he's going to have to adjust to in this series defensively and rotationally, things like that. I've toyed in my mind with, hey, would Maxie be better off coming off the bench with that lack of punch that they have? Um, would that be better for him, you know, without hurting his confidence? So there's things he can do. But when it comes to James Harden, I don't think you reinvent the wheel. This is the way the guy plays. And, look, he's one of the few players I would say, I don't care about 12, 13, 14, 15 assists. I don't care about that. It's great if that comes. James Harden has to answer the bell as a scorer in important moments. That's why he's here. Ben Simmons, who played that position prior, did a lot of good things on the court. The one thing he ran from was important shot making. And in this league, you have to have a guy as your primary ball handler that can score from anywhere in an important moment. That's why you got James Harden. So he's going to have to make shots in defining moments in this series, John. As great as Embiid is, he's still a center. There are ways to get the ball out of his hands if that's what Nick Nurse chooses to do in important moments. And it's going to fall more on James Harden. And so, yeah, it's great that he facilitates and he's got to get people involved. But push comes to shove, man. There's going to be a handful of moments in this series that are going to determine games. James Harden has to be willing to take and make big shots. That's what you got a guy like that for. Recently, I was talking to some people around the Sixers and they said, look, uh, the last three weeks, whatever the regular season, a lot of these guys are thinking, OK, we, we've got home court. Uh, so we're looking to the playoffs. So I'm thinking like, OK, maybe there's a switch that James Harden flips as the playoffs get here. But then I saw that article come out where it was talking about Kevin Durant. One of the reasons why the relationship started to dissolve was is that James showed up really out of shape to start the year, and, and Kevin Durant was upset about that. Do you think he is in good enough shape? I know I know this week is important because Doc Rivers said it's almost like another training camp and get a lot of things down with James, but do you think his conditioning is there to be, to be in there for a long playoff run? Personally, I haven't watched him and thought to myself, man, he needs to shed five pounds or he looks heavy. He looks, He's not moving well. It's not because of the weight. I think it's because – he, he's just he's just lost a little bit of explosiveness because of he's a he's a guard in his 30s that's dribbled the ball more than any player in NBA history in the last 10 years. Um, and it starts to wear on you. And I also think I do think there's another component to this. The pressure 
that he is feeling. I know what he said is I talked about it a lot today on the air because the quote, when I saw that quote, you know, I, I don't have anything to prove I, that to me, number one, he's completely lying, obviously. And he's lying for public consumption because he's basically saying to the media and to the fan base, I'm going to project an image right now of security. Nothing you guys can say right about me is going to affect me mentally. That's why athletes say things like that. There's no way when he's by himself with his thoughts or in the dark recesses of his own mind, he feels that way. He absolutely, he has more to prove than any player in the league going into this postseason. That's really what I believe about him. And this market creates a level of pressure and expectation, particularly when they just went two-thirds of a year with a guy sitting at home and they didn't replace him. They waited for this guy. And they finally got him, John. So the pressure is greater than he has ever felt in terms of everyone is watching you. We know what we're going to get out of a beat. He's past the point now where I doubt it. I think I think he's proven it now to me. He got in shape. He's more determined. He plays for 36, 38 minutes hard. He plays in the paint late. He doesn't give in to fatigue. He doesn't commit stupid fouls because he's tired. Joel Embiid's going to average 32 and 13 no matter how many games he plays in the postseason. So that falls on this other guy. And so James Harden is feeling some of that too in this buildup toward the postseason. So the best thing that could happen, come out and have a great, big, explosive offense in game one, you know, 28 and 12, shoot well from the field, whether it's a close game or not, that I think will allay people's concerns right now. But if it goes the other way, four for 16, 13 points, they lose. He's nowhere to be found in the fourth quarter of a close game. This thing's going to snowball out of control. I think they're going to be in serious trouble. I like what you say. I, I agree with you about the pressure on James Harden. When I look at Joel Embiid, I'm going back to that Toronto series three years ago, and I would say if Joel Embiid did not get gastroenteritis, I think I said it right. He had the stomach. Yeah. I think they go yeah. up 3-1 at home against the Raptors, and they, they, they very well could have won that series, but he got sick. Then, of course, you had other issues. You had the knee last year, but I'm looking at Joel. He's going into this playoff run here healthy, and I think the best spot he has ever been, Doc talks about his conditioning. Are we going to see the next level of Joel Embiid in the playoffs? Yeah, I think I think look, and that's that's scary to think about because of how good he has been this season. But yeah, and he's been, for me, he is the MVP. Debated that a lot on the air over the last uh, week or so. I'm sticking with him. I don't think he did anything to lose the award. I thought he surged to the lead um, over a two month stretch. You know, January, February into March. How do you get run down in the home stretch when you didn't? Your numbers didn't drop. The team success maybe wasn't quite as good, but they weren't like in a six-game losing streak, and he didn't get hurt. I don't know how Jokic runs him down. Giannis runs him down. I don't understand that, but that seems to be the consensus. I'm worried he won't get it. That's how good he's been. So it's scary to think there, there has to be another gear, but most of the great ones do have that for the postseason, and I think he'll do that. And here's One of the things I saw in Joel Embiid this year that impressed me so much, he showed an incredible – um, maturity that he had never exhibited. And it, I, it stood out to me one night there playing a national TV game. I don't remember the opponent. He got interviewed afterwards right away by the crew, and they asked him about the MVP. And I think Joel Embiid last year, year before, year before, gets asked that question, he would say, yeah, I'm the best player in the NBA. And I would say, man, I'd cringe. And you know what he said when he asked him that? He goes, it doesn't matter to me. Team success will bring all that stuff. And I was like, he finally gets it. The, like, the light's coming on. 
That sounds like a leader. That's a mature guy. He's not telling everybody how good he is. He's showing it every night. He's incredibly focused and determined coming in. He'll do his thing. There's no question in my mind. And some people think whether James Harden shows up or not, Embiid is so dominant that they're going to beat the Raptors anyway. I don't quite feel that way because Toronto's, I think, I think they're 13 and four in their last 17. I mean, they're playing great basketball coming in. They're confident against this team. This is going to be a dogfight. I, 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 I picked the Sixers in seven games. Of all of the first-round series, I probably feel less confident in that than any pick. Well, I, when I look at the statistics from the season series, now, you had four games. Sixers are one and three, but Joel missed one game because of COVID. They didn't have James Harden in the other. But then also, the Raptors were missing Fred Van Vliet for three games, so I, I factor that in. But when I look at those games, Tim, the last game, the Raptors got 16 more shots, and the game before that, they got 20 more shots because of the rebounding. They're the second-best offensive rebounding team in the league. They're all 6'7", they're all 6'8". How is that going to play into this series with the Sixers? Because the Sixers, if you're going to say maybe at the end they're Achilles' heel, it's been their rebounding since they didn't have Ben Simmons this year. 100%. Joel can't get them all. I mean, you know, he's going to get, he's going to get his share. But Toronto crashes the boards unlike any, really, any team in the NBA. And they're unique, John, in that the guys they send crashing to the board with that length and athletic ability are able to then – hit the floor and sprint back and get back without giving up that much. A lot of teams that try to pound you in the offensive glass give up a lot in transition. They don't because they've got guys that are in that 6'7 to 6'10 range that are long and athletic. They go, they crash, they don't get it, they turn, sprint, they get back and recover. So the rebounding is going to be an enormous factor. There's no question about it. The other thing that's going to be a huge factor is who's going to give you the unexpected scoring punch on a given night for the Sixers. That's what I'm worried about because when you just look at teams that make runs in the post postseason, if you go and look at box scores, you know, you kind of you should know kind of what those numbers are gonna look like out of Embiid, Harden, Tobias, Max. I mean, you have a pretty good idea. It always takes a 15-point spot out of this guy. This guy hit four threes in this game. Somebody gives it to you, and I just don't know with the Sixers. Who do you feel confident in that it's going to be there when you need it? I mean, Niang has played pretty well here to close out the season. I mean, Shake Milton had a couple games late, but I, I don't know that that's going to continue in the postseason. So their lack of depth on the bench, I am worried about, particularly if Harden is struggling. That's got to come from somewhere. And, you know, look, Maxie's been great. I'm a huge Maxie fan. It's his first time going through this kind of thing on this level. He's now expected to get on a bad night, give me 18 on a good night, 25. It's a totally different level of pressure. So hopefully he's up to the task. He seems like a pretty carefree guy. I don't know that he's going to get overcome by his own thoughts and building this up too much. Hopefully he seems like he got bounce in his step and, and he'll be there for that. But I'm worried about their depth and I'm worried about the rebounding and I'm worried about how they guard Pascal Siakam. Oh man, I'm looking for your buddies on the Ben Franklin bridge right now. They better, they better be pulled over. Yeah, you're, if you pulled up, if you pulled up the uh, the, the uh, radar on your phone right now to look at traffic <laughs> in the Philadelphia area, there's some log jams on the Commodore Barry and the Walt Whitman for sure.
Everybody's pulled over. Uh, let me ask you about Matisse since he's not playing in the road games. Danny Green has been starting, and you take out the last game, but the two games before that and one against Toronto, he was shooting the ball well. And, and James Harden even talked about the spacing they have when Danny's back in there and starting because he is a threat from the corner and from three. Do you think that that spacing can help the Sixers' offense? And I'm not talking about defensively, but offensively. Oh, there's no question about it, because I think what you're going to see, Nick Nurse, I, I think for me, Nick Nurse and Eric Spolster are the two best coaches in the Eastern Conference. I just think the guy's a savant. He's that smart. Um, he gets the most out of what he has, and and that's what's scary about playing this team also. I, I worry about game after game, there's going to be something added. When you can now focus in on one opponent, and that's all you have to do is adjust, and primarily adjust to Joel Embiid. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. They're going to give him different looks. They're going to hit him with different blitzes from different places. They're going to trap him with a big along the baseline. They're going to trap him with a guard coming from the top. They're going to front him in the post and, and rotate guys over. You you name it, Joel Embiid's going to see it in this series. So that requires extra bodies in the paint, which means spacing is critical. Somebody's got to be a pressure release for the number of bodies that are going to be in Joel Embiid's lap. And, and certainly Danny Green can help provide that. It'd be great if Matisse could do it at home as well. But, I mean, I just don't think he's done it consistently enough where you expect it. If he can give you a couple a night, I think that's a bonus. He's out there for a different reason. And he's, he's out there to basically get inside the uniform of somebody that you specify and try to take them out of the game for stretches or at least make them incredibly inefficient. That's going to be his role in this series. And, like I said, I think it's important to get two before they have to go on the road and try to figure out a way to win without that element to their defense. You brought up Nick Nurse, and you look at the coaching matchup, and I don't know if you saw it, but Doc Rivers, when he was asked after the last game about B-ball Paul, uh, he really I, – I, I can't believe that he did this, but he was like, all right, let's no, not go on that B-ball Paul victory tour. We're trying to win a championship. But he did say against a small lineup, it will not be DeAndre Jordan for the most part. It'll be who I now call small ball Paul. <laughs> so yeah. are we actually going to see small ball Paul? And do you think with his length and the way the Raptors are, do you think that he could help in this series? I think he's been given, I think he's deserves the opportunity to find out. I mean, I've seen enough out of him to think that um, he deserves the opportunity to find out and uh, let's see what he does. One of the things I worry about sometimes with coaches when they hear something coming from external sources, they almost go the other way because they don't want to act like people are influencing what they do. Sometimes it's the worst thing that can happen to the player is having people bring him up and clamor for him to get more time because coaches think they know better. And so let's hope he's not stubborn. You're going to have to do whatever it takes. And, and look, Doc's going to have to push a lot of buttons in this series. This isn't just going to be sit back. Then come down and, hey, Joel and James, we got the two best players offensively in the series. Go be dominant. No, it's not going to be like that because of the guy on the other side is going to be moving pieces like a chess match. He's, he manages his rotation incredibly well. His timeout management, his after timeout management is, is just so on point. And game to game, what you're going to see different in terms of coverages and wrinkles to their sets on the other end. Nick Nurse, as good as it gets in this league. So Doc Rivers is going to have to be up to the challenge and coach through this because there's going to be a lot of adjustments made, particularly with how they're going to play Joel. And another one is going to be, what does he do with his lineups? And I think Paul Reed has deserved the right to at least find out. And maybe Doc has to get desperate first if things don't go 
their way for a game and a half at home. Maybe, you know, he, he changes something up, but we'll see. I, I don't know. He's playing that kind of close to the vest, and we'll see what he elects to do. All right, so I have listened to a lot of concerns. You're still taking the Sixers? Yeah, I'm picking the Sixers. I'm not going to lie to you, John, though. Part of it's because I'd like, you know, I don't want to people coming up to me at restaurants and stuff when I go out in the city, man. I still want to enjoy myself and enjoy a nice meal at one of those diners in Jersey that I like to go to. Uh, so, look, part of it is there a little bit of me that's got a little bit of bias because I want that to happen? Yeah, because I think I said it as soon as that matchup got cemented and I had to go on the air and predict once we knew any matchups that were set, I said it's a coin toss series it's genuinely how i feel i mean Shaq came out and said they're sweeping them and i don't know where i don't know where that comes from that kind of confidence if you've really been watching what's been going on with these two teams i don't know how you could go there um it's a coin toss series let's hope the sixers get it to a game seven on their home court that's about all you could ask for in a playoff series although they got that last year, and that didn't go that well. But we know there were some extenuating circumstances there. Yeah, I don't think they have somebody now that's actually afraid to shoot or shoot free throws. So so, so let me ask you, if you were the teams in the East, the Sixers right now, if they can get through the Raptors, then it's most likely the Heat. I actually think the Heat is a better matchup for them. I don't know how you feel. But do you think that their path to the Eastern Conference Finals is better than, let's say, the Bucs, who would be, I guess, you know, Celtics and then possibly the Nets or, or you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, what do you think of the Sixers' path to get to the Eastern Conference Finals as, I, as I compared to others? Yeah, I definitely like the fact that, you know, the next round you get through this, you get the Heat and now don't have to worry about the Bucs and the Celtics yet are certainly, you know, the Nets, the Nets down yeah. the road. You know, it's interesting what happened with the Nets winning that game. Now they've they've almost taken themselves out. Of, they're not going to end up playing the Sixers. I, I, it would be shocking to me if that ended up happening. Um, but, which we all were hoping for, obviously, the drama associated with that would have been incredible. The Heat definitely, for me, would be the team you'd want to play next. Milwaukee and Boston, uh, to me, right now, and I know Robert Williams is a big loss for Boston, but I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are playing the best they've ever played at the same time offensively. They finally look like they complement each other. That's been the best defensive team in the league for the last two months. And I know Robert Williams is a big part of it, but he's not all of it. Tatum, Brown, Marcus Smart, you know, Derek White, those guys all defend as well. Um, Grant Williams, they've got a lot of guys with length on the wing that can defend. So it's culture with them. Biggest question for me is you know, Jason Tatum is now a flag bearer. For that franchise, he has arrived, but this is his statement series coming up. You know, you're going to go toe to toe with Kevin Durant. What better way to make a statement that I now get a seat at this table of these elite guys because I can go toe to toe with him, bucket for bucket? Brown and Kyrie can kind of offset each other. And if that's the case, I think Boston's defense wins that series. So, Boston and Milwaukee to me are a notch above the other three. So, for the Sixers to get Toronto and then get Miami. I do think that's a little bit better path than having to go through the Bucks or the Celtics next. Who do you think is playing basketball last here in these playoffs, the Sixers or Ben Simmons? Oh, I will say the Sixers because I'm still not sure we're going to see Ben Simmons. Like I'll believe that when I see it. And I hope he does play soon, John, because I do not need to see any more of these ridiculous outfits that Ben Simmons is wearing on the bench. Okay, last night he looked like a leprechaun going to a club. And somebody said that was lambskin. I said, okay, I guess I'm not a fashionista. 
because I don't care what that's made of. I just know how ridiculous that looks. You know, sitting over there with the aviators, and it almost looks like he's having more fun sitting there than he is playing. It's the weirdest thing. Um, so I don't know when we're going to see Ben Simmons, uh, but I do think that the Sixers are playing longer than he is. If you're talking about him as a player, as a spectator, I don't know. Those guys were pretty scary last night. Yeah, and I agree with you. I don't rip anybody, but I will say it just seems to me Ben cares more about that stuff, what he's wearing, the cars and all that, than playing basketball. Um, before I let you go, I mean, I, I just I love listening to you, and it's a shame we don't have a telestrator here because I love when you're able to diagram plays and let us know what's going on. But you're also passing it on. You're helping kids, and you always have a camp back here in the Delaware Valley or even down the Jersey Shore um, during summertime. So how can people uh, come to your camp? Go to uh, TimLeglerBasketballCamp.com. It's it's my pride and joy, John. It's my favorite week of the year. It's it's a it's a big camp. We've been selling it out every year. Selling out early last year. We shut out. We shut off um, registrations a month out, because um, because the, the response was so great. Phenomenal facility too. Total Turf, which is in Pittman, New Jersey. I mean, you're talking ten minutes from the bridges. You know, from Walt Women and Ben Franklin. So it's it's Philly, but it's a South Jersey. I take a lot of pride in it, man. It's a, it's a teaching basketball camp, and I don't care what level you are your first timer or you're a really good AAU or even high school player I've had them all come through and I I adjust to your level you're gonna you're gonna if you're already a good player I'll teach you something hopefully can make you great if you're a first timer you're gonna learn the basics of the game and most importantly I always say this my job is to make sure on Friday when you walk out the door you love the game more than you did when you walked in on Monday that's how I treat it great staff and uh, August 1st through 5th, TimLeglerBasketballCamp.com. Boys and girls, 8 to 16, that's the best way you can go and register right online. All right. Hey, I would get out there. And by the way, I, for a little while there, I was thinking that you might become the next LaSalle coach because I know Fran Dumphy was kind of looking for somebody to take the reins. Were you asked at all? Uh, I, this time I didn't get involved at all. They know I wanted it the last time around. Uh, and it, I think it came down to myself and Ashley Howard. They went with the assistant for Villanova. I was pretty devastated by that because I, I did. I, I threw my hat in the ring. I thought I, I thought I did it enough with my interview. I was excited about the opportunity to restore my alma mater back to where I think they need to be. I really believe I could have done it. They went a different direction. Uh, four years later, they're looking for another coach. And uh, I, no, I wasn't. I wasn't interested this time. I, Fran Dunphy is near and dear to my heart. He was on LaSalle staff when I played at LaSalle. I've known him that long, 30 plus years. Uh, he is one of the best people I know. He's a great basketball coach. He's taken on a hell of a challenge at this stage of his life. I know yeah. that. But if anybody can do it, it's Fran, and I'm certainly pulling for him. And he's a good man, and I'm wishing him well. But uh, no, this time I, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna throw my name out there or contact the school. Well, you got a pretty darn good gig, so you're doing okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hey, listen. I, if I don't get to play, at least I get to talk about it. But coaching, hopefully. At some point, we'll be in my future. That's really where my passion lies, for sure. That would be great. And listen, I, I really love the analysis, the perspective, and the insight. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time, because I know you're all over the place. You're running around. But uh, keep up the great work on ESPN. Will do, John. Appreciate it. Thank you.